being said, hello everybody. Welcome back to Undercooked Analysis, the show that you enjoy. I'm David. I'm Alan. Um, I, I have an energy drink. I have something my dear spouse Kayla mixed for me. I think it is gin and mango orange juice. Huh. Oh no, it's vodka, Kayla says from the other room. Oh yeah, she uh, made me a screwdriver. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if the mic picked that up, but that's fine. I, uh, have, I have a white pineapple monster. Oh, that actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, no no alcohol tonight. Uh, last last week, uh, last weekend, uh, I did nothing the whole weekend except make myself my ties and play Tears of the Kingdom. And uh, it, it got to the point where uh, playing Tears of the Kingdom got pretty difficult. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call it when you play tears of the kingdom it's not drunk unlike mario kart you're not drunk driving what is it drunk fusing drunk building drunk uh, adventuring uh drunk caving drunk caving yeah. <laughs> if you want to hear some of alan's thoughts about uh tears of the kingdom listen to the dregs that comes out a week after this it's a pretty good one as usual we nerd out about shit mostly uh role-playing games and in relation to the legend of zelda that's an early plug for drags, everybody. Yeah. But right tune, now... Tune in hmm, later. <laughs> come back later for a special announcement. Uh, but right now, we have a story to read sent to us by our old friend, AC Silva. Uh, as you may recall, uh, AC Silva wrote The Room in San Carlos, which uh, we remember we enjoyed quite a bit. Yes, that one uh, was good. Uh, so... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. Okay. I was just going to say, I was going to read the message that was sent to us. Uh, And AC Silver writes, Hello again, David, Kayla, Alan, and co. Happy Pride Month. Hope you've all been well. I could really use your advice on a project. Last fall, I sent out applications to several creative writing MFA programs across the country, using the above story as my writing sample. Originally, I intended this to be a jumping off point for my first novel, but I'm also pretty happy with it as a standalone piece. This version was published by Add to Cart magazine back in February. Side note, Add to Cart is a great resource for publishing strange, surreal, unconventional fiction and poetry. Several of their stories fall into UCA territory, and they're all free to read online. Anyway, I was offered a spot in the MFA program at Virginia Tech, which I have accepted. I now need to decide if I want to focus on La Cueva de la Cabra for my master's thesis. I love to hear your thoughts, especially. Uh, do you think there's potential here to become a 200-plus page novel? What parts would you most like to see me expand upon? Any and all suggestions as to the direction I take this story in are much appreciated. Thank you for your in advance for your feedback on this and for your previous feedback on the room in San Carlos. UCA continues to be an endless source of inspiration and entertainment. Keep up the good work. P.S. Don't stress about the length. The last one third is all footnotes. Well, thanks, AC Silva. Thank you. Yeah. I have an important so, question uh, for, for you. Uh, me. Related to the name of our author. Yes. Um, AC Slater or Zach Morris? Uh, I'm going to go with AC Slater. Okay. You know what? It's yeah. fair. Um, <laughs> I, just, I, I just Googled AC Slater to see if I remembered his name correctly. Um, and I did. And uh, it, 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 he's listed as the deuteragonist of, of Saved by the Bell in his Wikipedia article. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Look, I get that AC Slater doesn't have Zach Morris's superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Holy shit, that threw me back. I haven't thought about Saved by the Bell in like a thousand years. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, as mentioned in the letter, this st- story is titled La-, La Cueva de la Cabra. And uh, it's big font. Despite how long it looks, it is big font. At least on my computer, it is. So I think we should be okay. Looks pretty straightforward. Uh, let's let's charge in with boldness. What do you think? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Sorry, hold on. No, take your time. La Cueva is cave. Mm-hmm. Alan's been taking Duolingo. I don't know what Cabra means. <laughs> so something about a cave. Okay. Okay. Uh, I appreciate the insight. The cave <laughs> of the something. <laughs> the cave of the something. Here we here we go. <laughs> All right. The internal temperature of a cave is approximately equal to the average temperature of the climate above. This is true regardless of size or location. A unique combination of geothermal heat and insulation prevents the air and water inside the cavern from varying more than a few fractions of a degree throughout the year, regardless of external extremes in temperature. Deviations from this rule are rare and have been subject to rigorous study from the moment of their discovery, with one exception, of course. Of course. Of course. La Cueva de la Cabra lies near the border of Chihuahua and Duolingo Allen. Here we go. Coahuila de la Zaragoza in northern northern hey. Mexico. By all accounts, <laughs> it is the only cave in the region that maintains an interior temperature below the freezing point. While atmospheric readings of the Chihuahuan Desert report an annual average around uh, 63 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. The most recent measurements taken from inside... (laughs) Sorry, I just downed that monster and I've got, like, I've got gooey throat. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Take your time. It's okay. I mean, I know it's, like, one in the morning. One or, like, two in the morning? It It is one in the morning. The most recent measurements taken from inside La Cueva de la Cabra average out to just below 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Any Jesus. any possible explanations for this disparity remain little more than speculation. The prevailing theory, proposed by Dr. Miguel Hernandez, postulates the existence of an underground ice formation somewhere beneath the cave. Though scarce, such formations do occur naturally. According to the Utah Geological Survey, the geometry of some caves can cause cold air to be trapped underground essentially refrigerating the cavern. These caves have drawn much attention from the scientific community due to their potential to retain year-round ice in areas where permafrost is otherwise impossible. And yet, thus far, La Cueva de la Cabra has been left out of this conversation. Huh. That is... Okay, now one thing I have to note is there are a lot of footnotes here. A lot. Yes. I'm just going to click on one to see where it takes me. For example... Oh, they actually lead to... Uh... A bunch of these actually lead to uh, sources, like literally uh, AC Silva citing sources for this, or at least whoever's writing this hypothetically. That is fascinating. That's crazy. I love that. Uh, The fact of the matter is, until Dr. Hernandez's ill-fated expedition, La Cueva de la Cabra was little more than a folktale, rarely told outside of its country of origin. Aside from its anomalous temperature, the cave is almost too easy to overlook. It lies nestled between two hills in a remote portion of the desert. The nearest population center, a town called Hercules, is home to fewer than 4,600 residents. The precise distance from the cave to the town center remains undetermined, but it's estimated to be approximately 18 miles. Okay, being eased into this with facts, this is pretty cool. 
Because there are no paved roads or even beaten paths leading directly to the cave, this distance quickly deters casual visitors. Without an all-terrain vehicle in extremely specific directions from one of the handful of individuals who have found La Cueva de la Cabra and live to tell the tale, Goat! Because Chupacabra means goat eater. Oh, that's right! So the cave, the of, cave the of the goat. <laughs> <laughs> so really what this is, is it's the cave that is the greatest cave of all time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cave of Brian Danielson, professional wrestler. <laughs> um, we found the Cueva de la Cabra and lived to tell the tale. Any would-be explorers run the risk of stranding themselves off-road in the middle of the desert. In the summer heat, with a limited water supply, this negligence all too quickly becomes a death sentence. Dun-dun-dun. Beyond the cave's inaccessibility, those few who have made it in and and out unscathed depict a cold but otherwise unremarkable environment. Statements taken from the search party sent after Dr. Hernandez's team describe one long corridor with a small cavern at the back to the left, resembling an upside-down L. A smattering of stalactites hang from the ceiling, collecting more densely towards the center of the main passage. The distance from the mouth of the cave to its furthest wall amounts to just over uh, 650 feet. It stands slightly more than 10 feet in height, with a width of about 4 feet at its narrowest and about 13 feet at its widest. Compared to caving destinations, like, uh, the, like, oh, that's weird. It's all kind of the the notes of the Riviera Maya with their snorkeling and diving tours. Or the 53-long Sistema Huatla in Oaxaca. Oaxaca. Oaxaca, thank you. I I knew, I was on the tip of my brain. I knew it was pronounced interesting. The Sistema Huatla of Oaxaca. Or or La Cueva de los Cristales, which is mind-boggling 40-foot gypsum crystals. It's clear to see why tourists, cavers, and geologists alike really bother to seek out La Cueva de la Cabra. Yeah. Yeah, who wants to go to the goat cave? Yeah, so, so what I'm getting is, uh... So La Cueva de la Cabra just gets weirdly cold. Uh, that's the only remarkable that's... thing about it, and that we now, we also know Dr. Hernandez went yeah. missing. And, and a doctor cave. went missing, so... Basically, like, it does something kind of remarkable, but no one cares because it's not, like, the kind of thing tourists would care about. We have a ca- we have a cave yeah. that gets cold. <laughs> the cold... Welcome to Cold Goat Cave. <laughs> Oh, the cold goat cave. <laughs> a translated cave of the cold goat, I think would be. <laughs> uh, that's not just. <laughs> I think that's me. Yeah. Is it you? You're right. Um, Sorry, it's cool. Um, I'm just cracking. I'm I'm just cracking up at the idea that it would be called cold. We could call it cold goat cave. <laughs> a bunch of gringos came by and said we're. Nope, we're selling we're selling frozen goat plushies and we're calling it Cold Goat Cave. <laughs> Put a um hey if it gets that cold in the cave, we can make a sort of like gimmick out of it by like setting up an ice cream stand in there. We've got a we've got a we've got a little plushie of a goat. He's wearing he's wearing a puffy jacket. He's got sunglasses. He's got sunglasses <laughs> on cuz he's cool. <laughs> <laughs> This is chi- this is the beginning of a series. Yeah. We're gonna hope to reach some animated potential with this thing. Yeah, uh, Cartoon Network is attached. Now they're unattached. Now they're <laughs> attached again. 
Oh man, the crossover potential is high with this one. That's not to say the cave has gone entirely unnoticed. On the contrary, knowledge of La Cueva de la Cabra has been shared by word of mouth for generations. An exact date of its discovery would be impossible to pinpoint, but the earliest written record of the cave seems to appear in a collection of Mexican folktales titled simply Cuentos. Compiled by Ignacio Coran, Cuentos was originally published in 1890 and has been reprinted a handful of times throughout the 20th century, most recently in 1998. In this latest version, translated by Isabel Mann, the story of La Cueva de la Cabra reads as follows. Oh boy, here we go. I love folklore shit. This is awesome. Long ago, a young woman was engaged to wed a man she did not love. She protested the union, but once her parents laid eyes on her suitor's fortune, their hearts would not be moved. The night before their wedding, as the clock struck twelve, she packed a bag with all that she could carry, crept into the stable, and stole a single milking goat. On the day of her wedding, the bride was nowhere to be found. Stricken with grief and anger, the suitor went to the girl's father and said, Let us go from house to house and search until we find her. So they went to every house and stable in the village, but the girl was not inside. And the father said to the suitor, Let us gather the men of the village and go out into the desert and search until we find her. For three days they searched far out into the desert, and on the third day the girl's father heard the bleeding of the goat. He followed the sound to the mouth of a hollow cavern. When he stepped under the cool shadow of the cave, however, the bleeding stopped. He called his daughter's name, but no voice answered. There was no sound inside the cave, not even the rustle of leathery bat's wings. The father fled, for he knew no creature that ventured there would leave alive. The men abandoned their search, and neither the girl nor the goat were ever seen again. Well, now we have a a mythical origin of the name. Yeah. Uh, Also, uh, Duolingo Allen just wants to chime in here for just a moment and say that the book this came from, called Quintos, literally means stories. (laughs) I will. I do want to note that the um, there is a footnote here uh, that is noting that this is uh, cited to Ignacio Coran Comp. La Cueva de la Cabra in Cuentos, translated, trans Isabel Mann, New York, New York, Penguin, 1997, pages 34 through 37. So if this is not a real book, then the level of detail being put into here to making this have a, like a, a real source, like this is an article, is really cool. Yeah, no, totally cool. I'm really, I'm really digging this so far. Like, I'm wondering where it's going to go from here, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of liking the, the way it reads. It's very, um... Again, it's very, like, just report-esque, and I dig that. <clears throat> or so the story goes. Whether hmm. La Cueva de la Cabra earned its name from, the version, from this version of the tale or another, the presence of the cabra, the goat, is a constant. <laughs> One variation claims that the runaway bride was lured to the cave by the sound of the bleeding goat. But when she sought refuge in the mouth of the cave, a chill struck her heart and she turned and ran back into the arms of her betrothed. This chill, felt by either the father or the bride, is as far as any iteration of the story goes toward addressing La Cueva de la Cabra's signature coldness. Hey, Alan, what's your opinion on goats, like, in general? Uh, I like goats. Uh, there's a place not too far from where I live, um, uh, called, uh, it's far enough that I can say what it is. It's called the Deanna Rose Family Farmstead. Nice. Uh, where you can go for a hike and you can buy for like a dollar. You can just, uh, I'll usually give them like 10 to $20 and buy like a bunch of little bottles of milk and you can just go amongst the baby goats and feed them. 
Aw, baby goats. Yes, uh, I love baby goats. I go to that place sometimes to just go for walks. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I do like goats. Uh, I have... I, I think goats... I, I, I think, in general, goats are really funny. Yes. So, I think just the, the, by dint of this being about a goat is automatically making me go, ha goat. Yeah. There's just something hilarious about goats. Um, but they also have Satan's eyeballs. They do. Uh, and that, they... I, I don't know if I related this story, but... Um, so, where I work... And I've been kind of, you know, nebulous about this before, but I work at a theme park. Um, and one of the things they have at this theme park is there's a barn that has, they sometimes bring seasonally farm animals that do, and often, more often than not, there are goats. Hmm. Now, one of my, uh, one of my managers uh, was, or one of my team leads, one time said, hey, you know what's funny is they bring them in early before you open them to the public, and I was walking by the window of the barn, and I knew that there were the animals in there, but we hadn't started letting people go in to see them. And all of a sudden, I look up, and I got jump scared by a goat. Oh, good. And like, how did that happen? They said, well, I looked up in the window and normally you don't, you know, you look into the barn, you just see the windows and there's nothing there. But I look up and there's this white goat up on its like, you know, it it got its hooves up on it like a box and was just staring at me. And it was like looking Satan in the eye. <laughs> and, and then he proceeded to show me a picture and I'm like, oh, that is actually really intimidating because there's this white goat against a completely black interior just staring out of this like old barn window this window of this like stable at at right at the camera it was it was fascinating uh hey future maureen uh the image for this episode should just be a goat eye oh god uh well we'll see what future maureen can do uh you get that one maureen oh yeah i got it don't worry about it okay (laughs) she's so good i appreciate maureen giving future david a break um, she sounds a little. We... She sounds a little more like Cliff Clavin every time she shows up. <laughs> <laughs> She's still finding her footing. <laughs> Listen, the spirit of Maureen just keeps possessing people, and every time her accent decays more and more. Is Maureen the best character ever given to Undercooked Analysis? Tune in next time. Oh. Oh, oh man. Okay. Mm. From, is this me? I th- Oh, I think it's me, because you just read the last one. Um, About the chill? Yeah, yeah okay, okay, your turn. Okay. Uh, from a scientific standpoint, this may seem like an odd omission. But from a literary perspective, it's important that the stir- setting remain vague, so readers can imagine La Cueva de la Cabra lies just beyond the border of their own small town. The cave itself functions less as a setting and more as a warning, a cautionary tale to any disobedient young woman in the household. Whether the pride capitulates and lives on or disappears forever, the message is clear. Or bay, or else. Or else a goat will happen. I mean, don't go fucking around in caves. It's just pretty good good advice. Yeah, that's general. I love I love cautionary tales like this. I mean, look at... I mean, fuck. Between that and like, hey, don't go out and play that night or a fucking weeping woman will come and eat your soul. Yeah. <laughs> For more on that, listen to the La Llorona episode of Midnight Marinara. Anyway. They did a movie about that recently, and I watched like 12 minutes of it on a flight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not, I don't think it's, it, I think it's fair for you to say I think my version's better. Um, there, there was another La Llorona movie that, uh, recently that I heard is quite good, but, um. Uh, I did hear that. Is that the one where Danny Trejo is a cab driver? That might be the one. 
I think that's the one because there's the Curse of La Llorona, which is like the Blumhouse one, and then there's just one that's just La Llorona. And I know the only reason I know about it is because it's it's well for one, it takes its source material seriously. It's not a part of the goddamn Conjuring universe, uh, but also it's the 2019 one that uh, ended up in the Criterion Collection. Ah, nice. That's that's the one uh, that people should watch. Apparently, I need to watch it. Agreed. Also, if you want to hear Abysme be essentially Zach Baggins and then eventually get murdered by La Llorona. Uh, go listen to the Midnight Marinara episode. It's worth it just to hear a Bismi try to be Zach Baggins. Yeah. Or a, a parody of Zach Baggins. Also, uh, <sighs> that that's a chance for me to plug. Uh, uh, Jameson Tapes will have a Patreon up soon. And uh, after we watch movies, uh, when Abysmi and I have a good drunk going, uh, we roll tape on us watching uh, Ghost Adventures while drunk as shit. So. <laughs> that, that's, I believe you titled that one. Uh... We keep changing what the name of. It's like Bring Your Own Baggins. Uh, uh, Bring Your Own Baggins is the one that I heard. I really like that yeah. one as a title. Um, but yeah. Anyway, look out for that in the in the near future, hopefully. You heard it here first? Maybe. <laughs> we put the last episode of Jameson Tapes up, and I say, hey, everyone subscribe to the Patreon, and the Patreon's not a thing yet. Oh, <laughs> true. <laughs> Oops. Oh, well, you know, it'll happen eventually, and then people can retroactively yeah. do it. But, you know, hey, speaking of Patreon, oh, no, I'll say this. AC Silva is a patron. Thank you, AC Silva. AC yeah. Slater is not. Yeah. No, and never we, will we, be. Probably. We are not patronized by uh, uh, Mario Lopez, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next paragraph is yours. Um, and I know we don't have a lot of listeners out there, but if everyone can get the hashtag going, hashtag AC Slater. Uh, AC on UCA, uh, and we and we and we can get Mario Lopez on this show, um, dude. Make it happen. We can only wonder which, if any, iteration of this tale found its way to Doctor Hernandez's young ears during his many childhood trips to Chihuahua. Speaking of Chihuahuas, there's three of them in the home right now, and uh, I know I've heard. Boy, howdy, are times. they loud? Um, yeah, they are. Small dogs. They have small dog energy. They have to make up for their size. Well, specifically one of them is loud, but, uh, uh, and it is, it is is the female. Um. Of course. Born on October 12th, 1988 in the city of Las Cruces, New Mexico, Miguel Arturo Hernandez. I speak Spanish like a cop. I'm sorry, everybody. (laughs) I'm, I'm hearing it come out of my mouth now. (laughs) <laughs> I won't hold it against you, Alan. Don't worry. <laughs> Sorry. Come on, friend. Your neighbor called about uh, uh, so the noise. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you're so bird. <laughs> okay, I have a confession. I have a confession to make right now. Okay. Okay. I think Yo Soy Bird is funny because you guys keep saying it. I ha- I don't remember what it's from. <laughs> it's from it's from the Autopia. Okay. Yes. Yep. Caught up. Because the the character is Bird, and she introduces herself first in English, and then for some reason in Spanish, she sounds even better. But it's there's always like Hola. Yo soy bird. <laughs> oh, God. It's good. Um, 
I also like uh, when you're getting loaded into the Dune, Doom buggy. Yeah. Uh, after after the initial, uh, we'll lower it for you. Uh, yeah. Speech. You get Which, a. By the sex- way, that's, that's, that's Corey Burton, not um, Paul Freese. They had right. to replace that bit. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, you get a sexy Latin ghost host. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, hello, sir. <laughs> Remember, he's very politely telling you to keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the puecudo. Yes. Um, anyway, okay, yes. I, I, <laughs> Where was I, he the I, whole time? I, I remember, I remember why, the context. Why don't we get more sexy Latin ghost host? Yeah. Uh, I do. Okay, I remember the context of Yo Soy Bird now. <laughs> Good. I'm glad I could help you. This was something that was cracking us up when we were all at Disneyland. Like, I just, me and Sade and... Kayla in line for Autopia, and just every so often, just did it. Tune in, and you just hear "Yo soy bird." Did I talk about Autopia on the uh, big group episode? Uh, you did not. Oh, this might be a good opportunity to do it. I know we're breaking the story up a lot, but still. Yeah, no, I. Uh, so anyone who knows me knows I don't drive because I have panic attacks uh, uh, behind the wheel of a car. Uh, the few times I, I have attempted to drive. Mm-hmm. Um. So last year at Autopia. Uh, I have told people is my first time driving a car. Um, <laughs> this year at Autopia, uh, we came back to the park uh, after I finished up. Uh, uh, Sean and I came back to the park after everyone else left, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Sade was still there. Oh yeah, and we uh, we had just wrapped up at uh, Trader Sam's, where I had four mm-hmm. very strong tiki cocktails. Hell yeah. Um, so last year on Autopia was my first time driving. This year was my first year driving drunk. <laughs> um, and I can, I can, and I was like, what's an irresponsible thing to do while, while driving drunk? So uh, while actively driving, I took a few selfies. Um, <laughs> I, I can send those to you later, but. Have you showed, you showed me those. Yeah. I do remember that, but just you saying it out loud is just making me laugh again. But then again, I'm drinking, so. Yeah. Um, but, yes, I, I've driven drunk now. That's, see, there you go, and you didn't even get a DUI. Yep. Um, I'm pretty good at it, apparently. Apparently. And it helps when there's a fucking concrete rail in the middle of the track. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> anywho. Um, anywho. The longest short paragraph in this story. <laughs> uh, did I even finish it? No, you didn't. Okay. Born on October 12th, 1988, in the city of Las Cruces, New Mexico, Miguel Arturo Hernandez made some of his happiest memories visiting family south of the border. Hey, he's he and I are about the same age. Hmm. Yeah. I'm a little old. He was a real good kid. He was a real good kid. Never gotten in trouble or nothing. Recalls Luis, uh, Luisa Morales, Miguel's first cousin. Actually, it was kind of annoying how good he was. We did everything together when he came to visit, but somehow I always ended up getting the chancla whenever he, well, even when he deserved it. <laughs> I know what that is. No one ever suspected him because he was so quiet. When asked what she thought happened to her cousin, Miss Morales knew one thing for certain. He's dead. If he was alive, we would have heard something by now. It's just a matter of finding the body. Huh. Well. Not, not, hold, not much hope then, huh? <laughs> Nope, not much. But then again, how can you blame her? Because <laughs> always getting the chancla instead of him. Um, <laughs> she held that grudge for years. And when she found out he had potentially disappeared, he went, I hope he died, dumb shit. <laughs> <sighs> uh, 
As much as the Hernandez cousins enjoyed each other's company, there was one family member young Miguel adored more than anyone else. His mother. He was her only child, after all, and she, his only parent. The pair were exceptionally similar in both temperament and her temperament and appearance. He had her chocolate brown eyes and heart-shaped face, her shyness, intelligence, and striking curiosity. Mother and son remained close as little Miguel grew up and left home to continue his education, a pursuit which Marianella adamantly encouraged. When he earned his doctorate, Dr. Hernandez dedicated his dissertation in her honor. Para mama, mi seguidora primera y más feroz. By the way, that's, I, 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 going to, I went ahead to look at the footnote of that one. It says, Miguel Hernandez, Erosion of the Prevention Thereof of a Warming, in a Warming World. Dedication, PhD, Dissertation, Princeton University, 2013. Damn. Again, loving the footnote details. I dig it. Yeah. <clears throat> but before Miguel Hernandez could grow into the auspicious doctor of geology he was destined to be, he would have to follow his mother across the country. The pair relocated to Richmond, Virginia in 1996, effectively putting an end to the sibling-like relationship he shared with Luisa Miguel, or Luisa. Wow, I really skipped the period there. Luisa. Miguel was devastated by the separation, not to mention the social challenges of adjusting to a city whose Hispanic residents account for less than 7% of the population. Even so, he managed to find one companion with whom he could commiserate, a neighbor boy by the name of Alexander Bryant. A match made in heaven, the senior Mrs. Bryant called them. In an interview with the Las Vegas News Network, they'd come home from school together, Mikey always with his head down, always frowning at something. A rock, a bug, a book, whatever. Frown at that bug! Frown at it! Frown at it. You do it. Whatever the boys got their hands on that day. And then there was Alex right next to him, always with a smile at his face, having conflicting emotions towards the bug. <laughs> <laughs> this bug is complicated. <laughs> One of them smiling at the bug, one of them frowning at the bug. The bug very confused. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what's going on here? I'm just a bug. Always with a smile on his face, always trying to make Mikey laugh. On the weekends, they'd walk out the door at 9 in the morning, and you wouldn't see them again until 9 at night. And they'd come running up with bruised up knees and empty stomachs, ready to tell you all their adventures. That was the thing Alex liked best about him, I think. They shared an adventurous spirit. Miguel Hernandez and Alexander Bryant's friendship persisted through high school. They graduated in 2004, and the boys kept in touch as they embarked on their collegiate journeys. Hernandez at MIT and Bryant at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. All right. Looking at this footnote again. Uh, 18, The Look Back, Episode 4, Please Come Home, hosted by Samantha Hahn, featuring the Bryant family, aired September 14, 2018, on Las Vegas News Network, LVNN. There is a story being told here in the footnotes, too, so I'm keeping tabs on one of the ones that seem interesting to, most interesting to me. Um, also, uh, if we go back earlier, if you want to know what Pero Mama, Mi Seguidora Primera y Más Feroz means, I uh, per, Pero Mama means uh, for mom, and then there's a bunch of other words. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken with the confidence of someone who's doing a lot of Duolingo. Anyway... <laughs> Um, Primera means first? Yeah, Primera is the the first, or number one, basically. Premier. Number one. Yep. Mm -hmm. And... I googled it. Uh, My first and fiercest follower. (laughs) Oh, that's good. I like that. Okay. (laughs) 
Uh, already several years ahead of his peers, Dr. Hernandez earned his Bachelor of Science degree in Earth, Atmospheric, and Planetary Sciences at the age of 20. Just five years later, he would complete his doctorate in geosciences at Princeton University, immediately establishing himself as one of the youngest and sharpest minds in the field. His thesis focused on soil erosion and the prevention thereof across Nigeria, Ethiopia, and Sudan. And he continued to travel throughout this part of the world after earning his doctorate. So that explains the earlier note about him being kind of like a climate scientist, effectively. Right. Or how to fight erosion. Meanwhile, on the other side of the globe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right about then. No, I like the, uh, I like the dateline. Meanwhile, Ness and his men speed towards Capone's hideout. (laughs) Meanwhile, on the other side of the globe, Alexander Bryant was making a smaller but no less ambitious name for himself in the field of meteorology. Although he was no star pupil, Bryant nonetheless earned his bachelor's degree in 2008 and returned home to Richmond, where he interned for the local branch of the Weather Channel. But it wasn't long before his adventurous spirit took hold. Hey, can we talk about the Weather Channel for a second? Yeah, we can talk about the Weather Channel. They for put a the, they put the Weather Channel on at work all the time. Uh, uh-huh. do, you, do you know the Weather Channel has like real TV shows and shows movies on occasion now? No, I did not know this. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Wow, what? Why? What's the point? Isn't the Weather Channel about the weather? Um, so they also, uh, there's a game show, and I'm trying to remember what it is. What? Um, and it has nothing to do, uh, with the weather. It's called Funny You Should Ask. Oh my god. Uh, and it's... You gotta be kidding me. it's, It's straight up the old game show thing of they get a bunch of comedians... And uh, it, it's it's Hollywood Squares without the Hollywood Squares setup. Ah, uh, well, it's Hollywood Squares without Gilmore Godfrey, so that's what matters. You fool! Um, uh, they also show movies that like are kind of weather adjacent. And God, I mess I messaged Abysme about a movie they showed that I think we should watch for the show. Like the weather, oh, the Weather Channel was straight up showing a horror movie. Because it, what? because it was set in a place where there was snow. <laughs> <laughs> the flimsiest of excuses, the loosest of connections, and there it is. Holy shit. Um, uh, yeah, it was about a guy and a girl who were, like, trapped in a snowstorm inside their car and, like, keep visiting, keep visiting by a ghost of a police officer. <laughs> oh so, my God. ACAB, but, uh, but, yeah, the, it's... Man, um, huh? I had to keep looking up and being like, "This is the Weather Channel." It was for, it was for ridiculous. one thing. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, the weather. It's like, oh god, any TV channel is going to go that way. But of all things, the Weather Channel. Also, also mm. late at night, they play their own Weather Channel version of what is essentially America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh what? Yeah. So anyway, uh, off here. There's my there's my hey, tangent about what the fuck's going on at the Weather Channel lately. <laughs> thank you for informing me about what the fuck's going on at the Weather Channel because I had no idea. Um, I don't watch television anymore. But it wasn't long before his adventurous spirit took hold, and he followed its call to Las Vegas, Nevada, not as a tourist, but as the brand new weatherman for Channel Six LVNN. Well, I'll explain why this this character has some notoriety later, since I'm looking at some of the footnotes and it's, and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. His PDF is being, his resume in 2010 is being listed as a source, by the way. 
Um, those already familiar with Brian's story know that while Alexander may have lacked Dr. Hernandez's insatiable intellect, he more than made up for it with raw charisma. True, he could analyze atmospheric data sufficiently, if not prodigiously, but he was a natural on camera, and the case with which he maintained his famous smile quickly earned him popularity among executives and viewers alike. Nonetheless, it is necessary to acknowledge that hindsight may have colored public perception of Alexander Bryant's tenure at LVNN. After all, people paid similar compliments to Kathleen Bryant before her husband's disappearance. Oh, he also went missing? Oh, well, I mean, there was a little bit of hint of that with the whole, you know, the whole thing about um, Please Come Home featuring the Bryant family in 2018. Yep. Um... Uh, Piecing it all together. Asked what first attracted her to the young, charismatic weatherman with a big dick, Mrs. Bryant replied, Same thing everybody remembers <laughs> about Alex. His smile. Kathleen <laughs> 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 was a field reporter. <laughs> Fuck you. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Kathleen was a field reporter at LVNN when Alexander joined the team. I was mostly doing traffic. A few public interest stories, your standard local news fair, she recalls. Not that there weren't big urgent stories to tell. McFadden had a monopoly on those. Him and Olivo. Olivo? Olivo? <laughs> yes! Very common name, Olivo. That sounds like if a racist person was naming a Greek character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Like, the same way that, like... Fucking... Oh, is Olivo a last name? Because you referred to someone else as McFadden. Yeah. So, uh, someone had the last name Olivo. Like, like... Fucking like, McFadden. Like Fucking how Olivo. the original Punch-Out had an Italian character named Pizza Pasta. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Remember, the censored version had Snowda Popinski. Yep, instead of Vodka Drunkinski. Um, <laughs> no, I feel like if Punch-Out made a great character, he'd be like, Satsiki Olivo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Pizza pasta. Never forget pizza pasta. The senior reporters. I had to fight tooth and nail just to get a word in. Then Alex comes along, some kid fresh off of his bachelor's, and all of a sudden he's on air every day. I would have hated him if it was possible to hate Alex. How could I hate Alex? I mean, his dick was... Never mind. Instead, according to Kathleen, their chemistry was instantaneous. He asked me out three or so months after we met. I think certain people were surprised it took so long. But he was young, you know? Five years younger than me. That was enough to catch their attention. I found out later the camera guys made bets whether he'd dump me for one of the interns on purpose. Or <laughs> on purpose. On purpose. <laughs> wow. Okay. That was a great faux I think certain people were surprised that it was so long. It took him so long. Um, sorry. He had to tuck it into his sock. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it was that long. Uh, by the way, Kathleen Bryant, interview with the author, June 13th, 2022. This allegation has been more or less confirmed by the Channel 6 crew, some of whom have been eager to comment on their former colleagues' contributions to LVNN. A sound engineer who worked on the show alongside the Bryants went so far as to describe Kathleen as vixeny, with a clear preference for young men with big, and then the microphone cut out. 
<laughs> this particular crewmate requests to remain anonymous. Let's see what the footnote says. Oh my god, yes. It says, uh, hold on. This person's requested to remain anonymous, and yet it says, Christopher Barnett, from mistress to suspected murderess, inside the mind of Kathleen Bryant, Las Vegas Review, March 4th, 2019, 14 to 16. This is, uh, this is getting complicated i wasn't i was expecting all this stuff with just a fucking goat cave and now we have all this nonsense about yeah i remember when this story was about a goat cave (laughs) (laughs) they vanished into the goat cave that's i'm I'm preparing my my myself for that to her credit kathleen made no attempt to conceal her reputation from her future husband maybe it was her honesty that inspired bryant to propose to her just 18 months or maybe he was hoping to discourage certain behaviors from the rapidly growing fan base after all, the young fiancé's rocketing success can only be matched by the rise in popularity of Facebook fan group Soccer Moms for Alex Bryant. <laughs> Facebook fan page of the local weatherman, November 20, 2019 through February 2019. Yep, just all sorts Damn. of MS-painted pictures of Alex Bryant with, like, circles drawn around. Like, it's there. You can see the eggplant. It's right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Like they used to do with fucking uh, Mike Matei. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> oh. Thought we were, were going to go all this time without talking about Mike Matei's dick? <laughs> <laughs> it was only a matter of time before we talked about Mike Matei's dick. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Everyone, everyone listening, go Google Mike Matei's dick. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're under 18, in which case, go listen to another show. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you here? This is explicit. Get the fuck out. The happy couple moved in together in July 2010, and one year later, they were married. Even after all the speculation surrounding their relationship, the wedding was an undeniable success. Both of their families, friends, and associates at the network filled the halls of Caesar's Palace in droves. Damn, they got married at Caesar's Palace? Yes. That's pretty good. What was it like, asked the Bryant's former colleague, Samantha Hahn, in her bombshell interview. Was it a magical wedding? Oh, yes, Kathleen replied. The happiest day of your life? The happiest night of my life. Seriously, he had to wrap it around his thigh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you could go back to that day, what would you say to your husband? I would say, I love you. I miss you. Never, ever go to Mexico. What if you could talk to him now? If Alex is out there somewhere listening to us, what would you want him to know? Camera focuses tight on Kathleen's face, catching the crease at the corner of her eye, the thin, firm line of her lips. He addresses the audience with a pleading stare. Come home. Just please, come home. During this portion of the interview, Han is presenting a photograph of the Bryants at the altar, gazing lovingly at one another. Kathleen is aglow in her white gown, her smile demure, almost shy. Not the full-toothed beam she brought to LVNN. Opposite her, Alexander wears a signature grin, boyish and handsome. Over his shoulder, slightly out of focus in the far right of the frame, stands Miguel Hernandez. Also out of focus... You remember this was about a goat cave? Standing out of focus on the left side of the frame is one of the groomsmen, who tripped over Alex's dick. <laughs> <laughs> the bit that alan won't let go you know what else doesn't get let go of (laughs) it's true 
No wonder she misses him. Ah, oh, I'm sorry. Here we are poking fun at this, but I'm like, hey, hey, do you uh, remember when this is about a cave with a cold goat? Yep. And now we're like into the personal lives of these two people. I know we're already foreshadowing the mysterious disappearances of these two people, but no, uh, I, um, it, it feels it. Yeah. It feels like proper true crime. It does actually. I think that's really. I think this is really cool. Like I'm just saying, it uh, ease us from the legend of the cave to the dis- the two. I guess the famous disappearance of these two people in affiliation with the goat cave. Yeah. But yes, I'm not referring to it as La Cueva de la Cabra. I'm referring to it as the fucking goat. Yeah, cave. the frozen goat cave. The frozen goat cave. <laughs> the prodigious doctoral candidate managed to postpone his studies long enough to be Alexander Bryant's best man. This is the first time Kathleen met Doctor Hernandez. Mikey, as her husband called him. Her initial impression of uh, was that of an awkward, mild-mannered man whose bond with Alexander rivaled her own. Honestly, I thought he was kind of a dork at first. He was nice enough and super intelligent, you could tell right away. But I got the impression he didn't really know how to talk to people, which was kind of weird, you know? For Alex's best friend, he couldn't have been less like Alex. Total chode. <laughs> um, <laughs> God, I'm so sorry. It's no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> no, I get you, and I'm. I, this is maybe going a little longer than I anticipated, but I'm. I'm feeling. I'm really vibing with. Oh, the story I, I am. Now. I am too. Uh, and yet, yeah. the boyhood bond hadn't faded one bit in the six years since the pair had shipped off to college. Nor would it falter over the course of the Bryant's marriage. He was included in everything they did. No. Yes, everything. Everything. <laughs> Everything. If the story of Alexander and Kathleen's wedding could be told in a single photograph, then the walls and shelves of the Bryant family home spelled out their marriage in pristine script. Alexander and Kathleen dangling from a cliff face in Yosemite National Park. Dangling from his dick! Honeymoon destination. (laughs) (laughs) He's able to wrap it around. The happy couple posing for a for sale sign in front of their chic, in front of a chic bungalow. Sold, stamp over the sign in bright red letters. Alexander, shirtless lounging what appears to be a kiddie pool in their new backyard. Kathleen in hiking boots and a sun hat, bounding over layers of red rock. Alexander beaming as he accepts the 2014 Achievement Award for Outstanding Broadcast Meteorology from the American Meteorological Society. Kathleen in profile, backlit by the rising sun, caressing her protruding belly. Pregnant Kathleen and Alexander with all of their colleagues on the set of LVNN, celebrating the station's 50th anniversary. Alexander and Kathleen in a hospital bed, cradling newborn... Abigail Bryant, baby Abigail in a white gown, Alexander holding her over a baptismal font, the growing girl nibbling her fingers, tasting her first chocolate, celebrating Christmas, Easter, her first, second, and third birthdays. Goat cave. (laughs) Goat cave, everybody. Frozen goat cave. The Bryants had achieved many of their lifelong dreams in just a few short years. They had the perfect family, perfect careers, the perfect marriage. And yet, the discerning onlooker might notice a subtle distance growing between the couple, starting with the birth of their daughter. Slowly but surely, baby Abigail dominates each frame, on her own or in one parent's arms. The whole family hardly ever assembled into a single picture. The last photograph to feature all three Bryants depicts a family trip to the Grand Canyon. Alexander on one side of the frame and the girls on the other, flashing their signature smiles. The vast canyon between them. Okay. Nice. So now... We have a story about a marriage kind of falling apart. Um, mm-hmm. It's well done. It is. But Frozen Goat Cave. <laughs> <laughs> We've really lost track of the Frozen Goat Cave. Yeah. I, 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 we're, we're bound to come back around to it. We, we gotta, right? 
No, I think we gotta. I think it's 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 interesting. I'm trying to figure out like from an article writer standpoint what this stands again because we really veered into this territory. Yeah. And again, it's working. I'm invested, but like it's it's like layers of it's got interesting layers to it. You know, like it's it seemed to have wandered away from Goat Cave, but I'm okay with it. Like like the writing is working for me, but I'm trying to figure out where where Goat Cave comes back in. Uh, while the newlyweds set out to make a family, Dr. Hernandez remained single, childless, and wholeheartedly devoted to his career. He continued to travel after earning his doctorate, returning home only when his research allowed. His work was featured in Geology and GSA Today. And prior to his disappearance, he accepted a tenure-track uh, position at Casper College in Wyoming, which funded his upcoming research and provided the young doctor with a permanent residence for the first time in his adult life. In celebration of this milestone, Dr. Hernandez made one fateful decision. He booked a flight to Mexico to reunite with the members of his family he had not seen since his early childhood. <clears throat> I didn't go, Luisa Morales now regrets. We, we had all scattered by then, to different parts of the country. I think me and Miguel were the only ones who ended up in the States. Anyway, it was hard to get us all in one place. In the end, the reunion became a road trip. Dr. Hernandez drove for more than 11 hours, 11 hours between his abuelos, grand, grandparents, uh, in the city of Chihuahua, yeah. and his cousins at the Universidad Metropolitana de Coahuila in Monolova. Monclova. The, se- the Monclova. C's and the E's uh, uh, look really similar in this font. Like, I noticed earlier, I yeah. noticed earlier you said case instead of E's. Oh, yeah. I did? Maybe it's because I have been drinking also. That's no, I, I, it's the, the C's and the E's look super, super similar. I'll give you that. Should I take the next two since this next paragraph is literally one sentence? Uh, uh, I'll take the short, I'll take the one sentence because I want to say it. Okay, go for it. Because it's, yeah. All the while, La Cueva de la Cabra lay inert, undisturbed, awaiting its next victims. And we're back! Oh! Oh shit, it's back! The Death Cave of Death, Frozen Goat Death. That's the name of the story now. The Goat Cave of Frozen Goat Death. The Goat Cave of Frozen Goat Death. <laughs> the Death Goat Cave of Goat 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 Death Goat Death. Dr. Hernandez's interest in the cave peaked Big, in late 2017. <laughs> Big Dick Alex's adventures in the Frozen Goat Death Cave. <laughs> <laughs> With his best friend Miguel. Dr. Hernandez's late interest in the cave peaked in late 2017, shortly after returning from his trip. On November 29th, the day before my birthday, he sent three emails, each containing an identical link. The first he sent to Luisa Morales with one simple question. <sighs> Give me a second. Ha escuchado esto antes? The second he sent to Alexander Bryant. In the body of this email, he discussed his own research, as well as several colleagues' intervent- investigations into cold trap caves in North America, their unique capacity to retain ice throughout the year, and how these caves could theoretically become great allies to humanity in the fight against climate change. There it is again. Third, Dr. Hernandez saw fit to share this information with one final confidant, me. Oh, the author's a character now! I mean, they already were a character, but still. What? Why is the author a character now? Because, well, I mean, they've been hinting at it because the author's been doing personal interviews with a bunch of these characters, so... Yeah. Um, Clearly they're invested. It's weird that it's presented as, like, an article, then. Yeah, this is... 
I'm waiting for it to find the main thrust of what this is and like hypothetically where it would be posted. So, uh, yeah. Um, I'm looking at 34 footnote, like noting. Okay. Oh, by the way, Miguel Hernandez email message to Alexander Bryant with the subject up for another adventure, November 29th, 2017. Oh, while we're getting into footnotes and stuff. Uh, uh, has escuchado esto antes, uh, I believe is, have you heard this before? Oh, interesting. Probably the probably about the cave. Um, or it's, have you heard about this? Something, something like that. Makes sense. Um, uh, Duolingo. Um, <laughs> so I'm a little worried now. Because why? Because this story just spent so long introducing two characters, and I'm really worried our author's about to introduce himself. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess we will see, because the next paragraph is where that kicks off. Okay. Okay. I met Miguel Hernandez. God damn it. (laughs) Yep, there it is. I met Miguel Hernandez at MIT, long before he was a doctor of anything. Though I've always preferred the liberal arts and he the sciences, we share a sense of anxiety for the fate of our planet, and a certain indefinable chemistry. (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) oh author bias this is great okay fucking sweet okay we kept in touch over the years albeit infrequently so i was not at all surprised to discover out of the blue a message in my inbox with a subject thought this would be right up your alley closer to a legend than a folktale just wanted to Take that for you. No, no, no. Carry on. Carry on. You got this. Uh, This story pops up in a handful of horror forums across the web, primarily on Spanish language sites. But Dr. Hernandez managed to find an English version to share with his monolingual associates. The title is translated as The Man Who Entered the... What? (laughs) What? Whoa, what? The Man Who Entered the Cave with Ten Fingers and Left with Eleven. Oh no! They did that trick where you know you count down, you count uh, down on the fingers of one hand. You know, ten, nine, eight, seven, six, six. Then you count up on the other one: one, two, three, four, five. Six and five is eleven. That's how you grow an extra finger. The story takes place during the Mexican Revolution. No, uh, context. How, what the fuck else is going to happen in this story? <laughs> this is so. This is so bonkers. Was hey Alan? Was the room in San Carlos as bonkers? No, <laughs> it was pretty bonkers, but not like this bonkers. And again, I'm having a good time, but like I'm waiting yeah. for every everything has to converge at some point. I'm waiting for the convergence so bad. Okay, Whew. the story takes place during the Mexican Revolution. For context, the war was the result of decades of mounting conflict between the uh, terratenientes who owned the land and the Campesinos, 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 who worked the land. As legend has it, a wealthy young, uh, uh, terraten, oh god. I think that, I think that means, I think that literally translates to earth tenant. (laughs) Yeah, terrateniente, that makes sense. Fled north toward the U.S. border in the hopes that his riches may buy him refuge from Pancho, Pancho Villa's men. Now we're getting historical context. Okay. I do, I do appreciate this. It's just grounded. I like this. Yeah. But what the fuck? This is bonkers. Yeah. Even when in context. I, yeah. And again, I want to stress, I like it. 
No, me too. Yeah, this, this, this story. AC Silva, Silva, you got us. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) This is like watching a gymnastic routine, and like they've like quadruple, double fucking somersaulted, uh, like knit a sweater, uh, fucking uh, did that thing where they flip their eyelids back. Um, a ton, oh, a, just a ton of. That. They've done so much in the air, and now we're just waiting. Like, how the fuck are you going to land now? <laughs> I'm waiting for it. Holy shit! And I think we're doing this this late at night, and I have been yeah. drinking. Mm. Uh, it's it's like reverse UCA because I am dead clean sober right now. Um, it really is. I've only well, then again, I've only had maybe one and a half of a drink. So. He rode by night and slept by day, and when the Campesinos found his horse, he continued on foot. After... He rode by night and slept by day. He's a lumberjack, and he's okay. <laughs> um, after untold hours wandering the desert by moonlight, the young man stumbled across La Cueva de la Cabra. Had he any knowledge of the cave's reputation, no doubt he would have carried on a little farther. But he only knew that dawn was fast approaching, and he needed cover from the sun and his pursuers. And he could have been anywhere, but uh, was this this was the story that... So according to this, this is the story that inspired um, uh, Miguel Hernandez to look for the um, look for the cave? Yes. Okay, just wanted to remind myself what the context was. The man shivered as he entered the cavern and felt his breath thaw with each exhale. Nonetheless, he pulled his coat tight around his shoulders and laid down to rest. But as he began to fall asleep, a sound near the cave's entrance brought him to his feet once more. It was a man's voice, maybe two or three men. Had he been followed so closely all this time? Or had some other poor souls sought refuge in this hiding place? Either way, the young man did not want to alert them to his presence. Cautiously, quietly, he crept deeper into the cave. His steps were small and his progress slow. He dared not strike a match, but with no light to guide his way, he could only imagine what obstacles might lie ahead. The air grew colder and colder with every step, or so it seemed. But each time he paused to catch his breath and warm his hands, the echoes of the men's voices came back a little louder, a little closer. And then he took one wrong step. He tripped right over Alex's dick. Oh, shit. <laughs> he was there the whole time yes. in the history. A loose rock shifted under his weight, and all of a sudden he was falling face first toward the ground, arms outstretched to cushion his fall. One hand found purchase on a slender piece of rock, which momentarily steadied him before snapping off in his fist. Disoriented, he clung to the structure which was ri- which had righted him and listened. The cave was dead silent. No voices, no sound at all. While he waited, oh fuck! I just got it. Okay. <laughs> While he wait, what? You'll see. While he waited, paralyzed for the voices to return, his empty hand found an unexpected softest softness. Oh, light as a cobweb and stringy. Even his nearly numb fingers could not mistake the sensation. It felt like hair. Oh, shit. So, I want you to remember what this story is called. And he's one hand found... Perfect. Yeah, Frozen Goat yeah. Cave. No, the, this story inside the story. <laughs> oh, that's One right. hand found purchase on a piece of sl- slender piece of rock, which momentarily steadied him before snapping off in his fist. Ah, there it yeah, is. Yeah, there we go. Right, 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 right. Okay, holy shit. Terrified that he may have stumbled across some long slumbering beast, the uh, Terra Teniente uh, turned tail and sprinted as fast as his frozen legs would carry him. 
He burst out of the cave and kept running, straight into an unsuspecting company of revolutionaries. He was then promptly hanged. (laughs) 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 Only after his body had thawed in the midday sun did his frozen fist unfurl and reveal the finger he had ripped from the thing in the cave. Okay, so the thing he grabbed on to catch himself was a frozen dead body, and he ripped off their finger. Yeah! That's fucking cool. And then he talks to the frozen yes. goat. Hi there. Mm. I'm Chili, the frozen goat. <laughs> Remember, I am here surrounded by the frozen corpses of my enemies. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, they were all bad guys. Enjoy a Dole Whip on your way out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Pretty de- I like how detailed that story was, and it's just like, they found him. They hanged him. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Then how do they know this story? That's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. <laughs> They're taking him to Gallows, and he's just like, hey, before you take me up there, you want to hear something really fucked up? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Pancho Villa never found out about that. Pretty damn spooky, I wrote back and thought little else of it until word of <laughs> Kathleen Bryant's rescue and all that it implied reached my office. Wait, Kathleen Bryant's rescue? Hang what? on a second. <laughs> rescue? Res- wait, 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 wait. 39. Miguel Hernandez, response to email with subject, thought this would be right up your alley. December 3rd, 2017. Huh. Okay, I guess, I guess we need to read for more context. Yeah, we will. Although, you said pretty damn spooky and my mind immediately went to, uh, pretty spooky, huh, folks? Hey! You want to see something really scary? <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> Other expedition into La Cueva de la Cabra, this much is certain. Dr. Hernandez arrived in Hercules on August 8th, 2018. He secured two rooms for himself and his guests at a hotel on the outskirts of town, rented a silver 2015 Jeep Wrangler, and consulted several incredulous locals about the location, or the most efficient route, I should say, to La Cueva de la Cabra. Three days later, Alexander and Kathleen Bryant flew into Aeropuerto Carmago in Chihuahua, the nearest regional airport. That night, the trio shared a raucous reunion dinner at uh, Antonjitos Locos. They were seen by several regulars, and Mr. Bryant's MasterCard was charged for the meal. According to staff at the Hotel Real uh, Paraiso, the Bryants left their room at approximately 10 a.m. on August 12th and walked walked to the Astron gas station next door where Dr. Hernandez was filling up the rental car. They chatted with the attendant, paid in cash, and drove west into the desert. Yeah, this is definitely feeling the true crime yep. angle, you know? Now that we get to this point. Long buildup, but we're here. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Looks like we made it. It's incorporated. We made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they did not return to their rooms that night. By the end of the week, when it was time to check out, hotel staff found both of the Bryant's passports in their bags, which had not been touched since their first night in town. The Jeep Wrangler was located three days later, near the mouth of a cave. The search party recovered two notebooks, a barometer, and a broken headlamp, but none of the missing persons. Word of their disappearance soon began to circulate north of the border as well. The Bryant's absence was immediately noticed when they failed to return to LVNN, and Dr. Hernandez missed his new faculty orientation at Casper. The friendly ghost. Oh boy. (laughs) The friendliest ghost you know. 
Finally, 11 days after the team set off in search of La Cueva de la Cabra, Kathleen Bryant was found wandering Death Valley National Park more than 1,100 miles from her last known whereabouts. Holy oh, shit. Okay, now I get it. <laughs> okay, now I get it. Thank you. According to her rescuers, she was mumbling to herself and appeared to be intoxicated, though toxicology reports later revealed that she was not under the influence of any substances. Oh, the mystery just deepened the big... A big, yeah. big, big, big. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. David Lynch, did you have anything to do with this? Uh, I can't say for certain. For all I know, I... For all you know, I am A.C. Silva. Damn. But the mystery is more important. It's like a golden goose. Take that into consideration, ABC, you stupid fucks. <laughs> An ambulance brought Kathleen Bryant to the emergency room at the Southern Inyo Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to make the joke. It's just, yep, just leave. Just going to chuckle like an idiot and we're going to continue. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I'm, only, I'm mostly laughing because you're laughing. <laughs> In Lone Pine, California. Listen there she was diagnosed with severe dehydration, second degree frostbite, and a traumatic brain injury, most likely a concussion. Local police met her at the ER soon after her arrival, but quickly realized she was in no state for an interview. The cops came back the next day and the next each time with more questions for Kathleen to answer. Each answer a little more lucid than the day before. All those interviews are kind of a blur at this point, she would later admit. I told them everything I could remember, but they just kept asking the same questions. Then they wanted me to take a polygraph. My lawyer said it would be a bad idea while I was still recovering. That's where the trouble started. That's where the trouble started? That's where uh, people started to suspect her. Oh, yeah. of, 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 yeah, being, of killing them. She, she refused to polygraph mm. because uh, she, you know, was getting over a traumatic brain injury. Oh, yeah, she was on the, she, t- she didn't yeah. take it on the advice of her lawyer. Okay, so, that makes so sense. immediately yeah, yeah, everyone yeah, was just like, it. yep, she did it. Yeah. Fucking shit, man. That's when the Fire Nation attacked. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Kathleen was discharged. Bastards. From Southern Inyo Hospital. <laughs> God damn it. Nope. Not giving in. We're moving on. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Everyone. Everyone. Everyone everyone listening. Just complete the joke. Write your your own version of who's on first with In Your Hospital. (laughs) Where is he? In Your Hospital. I don't have a hospital. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there i gave in everybody are you happy are you fucking happy <laughs> okay i'm proud of you we just we can let it go let it go we don't have frozen goat cave anymore her parents escorted her back to las vegas it would not be a happy homecoming however within 48 hours of her return kathleen bryant's house was swarming with lvpd officers warrant in hand they confiscated all electronics on the property, searched Alexander's study, and ransacked the couple's personal files. The raid provoked a media frenzy. ALAS, KTNV, Fox 5 Las Vegas, and of course LVNN stalked their prey to her parents' Spring Valley condo, where she attempted to lie low until she had the all clear to come home. She extended only after a five-hour interview with Detective Calvin Avery of the Las Vegas Police Department and FBI agent Tim Colby. Good old Tim Colby. I don't know. I just felt like the right thing to say. Kathleen Bryant is adamant that she told nothing but the truth to her police interviews. 
But as a reporter herself, she knew that public perception carries far more currency than truth. When pressured to justify LVPD actions at the Bryant home, Detective Avery made sure to broadcast Kathleen's refusal to cooperate in his own words. We have reason to believe Miss Bryant has not been entirely honest with us. I think some of our viewers are wondering, if she really is innocent, if she has nothing to hide, why not take the lie detector test? How do you respond to that? Asked Samantha Hahn during her Please Come Home interview. I'm just taking my lawyer's advice, said Kathleen. Right, but why don't your lawyers want you to tell the truth? What do they know that we don't? What a disaster, Kathleen reflects. I only agreed to do that interview because she swore to keep it classy, to make it about Alex. Instead, she made it all about Samantha. Have you seen LVNN lately? She's their poster child. She's getting all the best stories. So much for journalistic integrity. (laughs) All the while, the feds began investigating Dr. Hernandez's contacts. Putting them in solution. Uh, Oh. Reaching out... Uh, Reaching out to anyone associated with La Cueva de la Cabra. No matter how loose the connection. I met Luisa Morales the first time we were called in for questioning. They wanted to know about that story he sent us before he died, she said. Sorry. Disappeared. She amended her statement for my sake. We agreed on most things, but not this. She told me the Fed's inquiries circled around the cave, and whether she thought his interest in it had been purely scientific. Or if she had perceived another reason, he might want to go there. She said no, she couldn't imagine any other motive. My interrogation followed more or less the same script, with one significant addition. Just how intimate was my relationship with the acclaimed geologist? Was it romantic in nature? Homosexual? In the time that I knew him, had Dr. Hernandez expressed interest in any other men? A childhood friend, perhaps? Would I be willing to testify for the prosecution? If, of course, they had anyone to prosecute. Are they saying... Are they saying... Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, Yeah, I start to see it in the next paragraph. In a court of law... The term gay panic defense would make a great band name. <laughs> <laughs> I used to play bass for gay panic defense. Happy Pride Month, everybody. It refers to a strategy in which the defendant claims to have experienced a temporary, violent bout of insanity in response to the gender or sexuality of the victim. For my own sake, I must clarify that this is speculation, but as a consequence of this line of questioning, I surmise that the prosecuting parties intended to put a twist on this pa- concept. A gay panic offense. <laughs> if you will. If you will. Oh, I will. <laughs> I will. Gay panic offense. No gay panic offense. <laughs> None taken. Perhaps Kathleen Bryant, having discovered her husband's illicit affair with another man, took advantage of La Cueva de la Cabra's remote location, killed both of them, concealed their corpses, and proceeded to disguise herself as a fellow victim by freezing herself and giving herself a concussion. And teleporting to Death Valley, 1,100 miles away. What the fuck? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I, does this also, does this imply, going back a couple of years, that they, the author, the hypothetical author of this interview was also a man? I, yeah, I guess. Because what, what was your relationship with the geologist? Was it romantic in nature? Homosexual? I, I guess that would, that would have to be, yeah. All right, so... The author is a, is presumably male. Just a thought. Right. Um, hold on a second. Uh, it's okay. Here we go. Is a sensational interpretation of the evidence, if a little overzealous, but with no bodies, no blood, no DNA to speak of, any case against brought against Kathleen Bryant could have to would have to be built on circumstantial evidence. Kathleen's injuries, her difficulty explaining what happened in the cave, 
and the mystery of how she ended up in Death Valley all indicate some degree of decep- deception on her part. The prosecution would have to arrange these omissions into a plausible depiction of her mean means, motive, and opportunity. By the end of 2019, Kathleen's impending arrest and trial seemed all but inevitable. But then, much to Kathleen's relief, <laughs> the whole world shut down. Yep, oh, we're going boy. there. Yep, there it is. The unstoppable machinations of the law ground to a halt thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic finally making landfall in the United States. In light of this glossy new tragedy, interest in the Bryans died as swiftly as it had been born, and La Cueva de la Cabra slipped mercifully back into obscurity. In December 2020, the FBI passed their investigation off to the newly elected DA, who has not pursued the case further. Still, Kathleen keeps in close contact with her lawyers. I kind of appreciate that we're in an era now... I know it's only been like maybe what it's been like three years since that started. And it's crazy to me that now you can use that as a narrative device historically. Yep. What a world we live in, huh? I know, right? Mm -hmm. They would kill me if they knew I was talking to you right now. She says, loving her gaze at me. She's just as striking in person as on camera, perhaps even more so in the aftermath of her ordeal. The purple circles under her eyes have never quite faded, and the bones in her face and fingers stand out a little more prominently than they did on LVNN. She wears her hair in a high ponytail, as if to exaggerate the skeletal effect. Ooh, I used to play bass for the skeletal effect. That's that's actually a legit good band name. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. It's a no, uh, no cap good band name. Yeah, yeah. Um... We are sitting in her living room, surrounded on all sides by the smiling faces of Alexander, Kathleen, and Abigail Bryant. A for sale sign once again dangles at the foot of the driveway. Kathleen hopes that the property value will cover her legal fees so she won't have to dip further into her parents' retirement savings, or worse, her daughter's college fund. Her father is entertaining Abigail in the next room while we talk, his smoky voice rising and falling in cadence with the little girls. Alexander Bryant has just missed his daughter's eighth birthday. Aww. Uh, there was something I was going to mention that I'm trying to wrap my head around it, but it's escaping me, so... Well, we're getting to the end of the footnotes, so uh, that must mean we're getting close to the end here. Yeah. <clears throat> my own investigation into his and Dr. Hernandez's... Oh, that's what it was. Okay, hold on. Uh, did he invite them down just because... He was like, hey, I'm going to on a fun, funny, funky cave expedition. Come down, BFF. I guess. And wife. That, yeah, that seems kind of weird because this guy wasn't the whole expedition for like a climate studies thing, ostensibly. I, yeah, I, I guess that's the idea. Huh. My own investigation into his and Dr. Hernandez's disappearance dried up along with everybody else's. Only recently did I pick up my old files and start arranging them into something like a coherent narrative. Louisa suggested I reach out to Mrs. Bryant to see, after all these years, what pieces she might be willing to add to the puzzle. I did not expect a response. Kathleen had refused every invitation to interview since Samantha Hahn's ambush. I saw no reason why she would choose to speak with me. Louisa, on the other hand, was more confident. I'll talk to you, she assured me. She has a type. I guess Miguel did, too. Well, he was the best man at, he, you know, he was the best man at their wedding, and yeah. so I guess there's some weird connection there. The lights never go out in the Bryant family home. All day and all night, the windows glow a shimmery, bluish-white. Kathleen has switched to LEDs. They're more efficient, she tells me, and brighter. He was right next to me, closer than you are now. I could have touched him. We were holding hands before the lights went out. Oh, shit, here we go. 
This is the story Kathleen Bryant claims she, uh, she told me, she told time and again for the very first interview at the Southern Inyo Hospital in her final conference. In pocket. <laughs> yeah, you got me. You got me, son of a bitch. I get it. Uh, Southern Inyo Hospital in her final confrontation with the FBI. This is the story that convinced them she was lying, or at least not telling the whole truth. This is where the supernatural part comes in, gang. We made our way to the back of the cave, made sure Mikey had all his data, and then we finally turned around. I was glad to get going. We all bundled up before we went in, but not enough to keep out the cold. It couldn't have been more than 20 degrees. That's fucking cold. The trio were in good spirits as they trudged back towards the mouth of the cave, moving considerably faster than they had on their journey. Dr. Hernandez was convinced his theory was correct. He intended to write up a brief summary of their findings that evening, and return in the morning to gather further evidence. Alexander Bryant made a joke. Something about the chupacabra, Kathleen recalls. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> and the odds they might encounter him in a place like this. And now they have to tell us all about this. Originally, the brainchild of a Puerto Rican woman who stayed up too late watching scary movies. Bullshit. Come on now. The Chupacabra rapidly gained infamy in Mexico and the southern states in the 1990s and early 2000s. And small-time farmers, small-time farmers began to blame their creatures, uh, the creature for attacks on their livestock. Despite its reputation as one of North America's most popular cryptids, the legend of the Chupacabra is widely understood to be fiction and entirely unrelated to the mythology surrounding the cave's titular cabra. Thank you for taking so long to explain something unrelated. Yeah, that was... Okay, that that paragraph feels weird, you know? I'm just saying. Just saying. I told Alex. That's the only... That's my only real criticism. Yeah. Everything else has been pretty pretty solid. I've been really enjoying this. Yeah, no, it's it's very good. Yeah. Um, But also, um, according to the... It was in the... um, the the 19 i think it was in the 1970s that in puerto rico they started getting animal attacks that were blamed on the chupacabra and yeah i know there was a, it was identified supposedly in the sketch by a woman from puerto rico but i don't know this feels this feels this paragraph feels weirdly dismissive considering everything we've already dealt with yeah i don't know maybe it's also because i just watched a bunch of shit about the history of the chupacabra yeah. but um i told alex to knock it off it was dark enough in there to get spooked without imagining some kind of monster waiting to pop out at us. He just laughed me off, said we were all a little too old to be scared of the dark. I asked Kathleen if she knew any of the lore surrounding La Cueva de la Cabra at the time of the expedition. To my surprise, she claimed she didn't. If I heard any stories about people going missing in that cave, I wouldn't have come. I wouldn't have let Alex go either, but he probably knew that. Good dick, Alex. <laughs> Don't take Seriously. people into a disappearing cave and not tell them it's a disappearing cave. I have a theory, by the way, since based on everything you did so far, and you're probably on the same page as me, but all those stalagmites and stalactites in the back of the cave, frozen Mm -hmm. people. Very possible. They walked for Mm -hmm. 30 or 40 minutes before they realized something was wrong. As Kathleen describes it, we came around a bend on the way in that took us to the furthest, darkest part of the cave. But heading back, our path never curved. We just kept walking straight down. We should have been climbing out of the cave... I just realized something. Hmm? God damn it. What? If she told this story to the police, even if they didn't believe her, why has no one gone out to check, gone to check the cave yet? <laughs> um, but I thought they did, I didn't I they? I don't know. I don't remember. But... Like, there was a search team that was sent out, but I guess... <sighs> like, I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's... that's I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit to see if that was a thing, but, 
Yeah, but, well, I mean, or, or, or it could be said that other people have gone to check the cave since then. I don't know. Like, I'm still waiting for some of that, but I'm, I'm curious. We just kept walking uh, for the darkest part of the cave. But heading back, our path never curved. We just kept walking straight down. We should have been climbing out of the cave, but instead we were descending. I said we should turn around, but we were all pretty sure this was the direction we came from. And if it wasn't, the boys wanted to see where it would lead. And then they died. Yeah. They kept walking. Another half hour passed, and the temperature continued to drop. Kathleen shivers at the memory. We were running out of options. The thermometers were reading in the negatives, and we weren't prepared for sub-zero temperatures. Eventually, I just stopped, and I wouldn't go any further. Nobody argued. Alex thought we could, we could have got disoriented somehow. I wandered down the wrong path. Mikey said no, that wasn't possible. It was a small cave. As was described earlier, it was a pretty small cave. This tunnel we were in, there were no stalactites, no memorable formations, just one long chute. He said it looked man-made. Worthy of note, La Cueva de la Cabra was searched top to bottom by U.S. and Mexican authorities in the wake of these events. There you go. But no investigation revealed anything comparable to Kathleen's description of the long, unnatural corridor. All right. Yep. There we go. Thank you. There it is. I do just want to say, Mm -hmm. I keep thinking about, have you ever seen an MST3K episode called The Screaming Skull? Oh, I love that episode. I think about it. um, How the husband, they keep riffing the husband, because it's so clear in that movie that the husband is the one who killed his wife from the previous marriage. (laughs) They just did did riffs where he starts telling the story. It was a rainy day, and he shot her. (laughs) (laughs) So so I just want to, so I just like what part of this story (laughs) does it feel like? And then a polar bear jumped out of the cage and cave and shot them, or at least that's what Kathleen said. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I just want to say, though, while I'm thinking about it, that movie, despite being pretty terrible, has some really cool ghost effects in it. I bet that woman with the fucking long veil, like the hat, sun hat with the veil, very scary looking. And she like chases her for a while. Chases him for a while. That movie also has Mickey, who is kind of like, is kind of like a Torgo origin story almost. Proto, he's like proto, he's like proto Torgo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, it was Miguel's idea to turn out the lights. The crew had only been inside La Cueva de la Cabra for a couple of hours. If they were anywhere near an exit. Exit. They should have been able to see at least a trace of sunlight. Kathleen Bryant squeezed her eyes shut as they click, click, clicked off their headlamps and opened them to a vast blackness, darker than the backs of their eyelids. I saw nothing. That's the only way I can describe it. Your eyes look and look at, but they don't see. If you've never experienced it, you can't possibly imagine what it's like. Cave is the only natural environment in which a person may witness total, absolute darkness. But Kathleen Bryant claims she also experienced an unnatural silence inside La Cueva de la Cabra. It was like the opposite of an echo, like talking underwater. I said Alex's name and heard my voice go nowhere. It made me feel weightless, dizzy. I couldn't stand it. I had to turn my life back on. And when she did, she was all alone. I didn't know what to do. They were right there a minute ago, and then they were just gone, like an invisible hand reached out of the dark and snatched them away. This is good. Yes, uh, I'll have notes Damn. when we get to the end of the story. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like, yeah. um, no, no, no. 
she called she called their names, screamed them into the depths of the cave, and no sound returned. Not even an echo. Beginning to panic, Kathleen Bryant turned and ran as fast as she could, her lungs seizing in the cold. I wasn't patient, paying attention to where I was going. I could barely see past my breath. I must have hit my head on something. I remember the pain, smack in the middle of my forehead. Next thing I know, I'm in a hospital bed in Lone Pine. We wrap up our conversation just as the sun begins to set, coloring Kathleen's house gold against the indigo sky. She walks me out to my car. I thank her for her time, and she gives me a tired smile. Dr. Miguel Hernandez and Alexander Bryant entered La Cueva de la Cabra more than four years ago, soon to be five. In that time, the desire to seek justice for their disappearance has dwindled out in all but a few restless minds. That desire drove me across the country in search of a person I had never met, someone who, by her own admission, could not give me the answers I needed most. Was Kathleen Bryant the real monster inside La Cueva de la Cabra that day? Or was she just a traumatized woman, alone in the dark? I pull out of the driveway and begin the long journey home, Kathleen's house shrinking in my rearview mirror, shining from all its windows. Okay. okay. And thus, yeah. we wrap very, it. Very, 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 very good. Very, very <laughs> good. I, I, this was, And, you know, the thing is, this one's already been uh, published, so to speak, here in, in uh, yeah. Add to Cart magazine. So uh, I do want to say, first of all, thanks to... First of all, thanks to AC Silva for sharing this with us again and, and trusting us with our, our feedback here. Already been published, so it's pretty it's pretty solid. Short read, all things considered. Yeah, it took us a while because it's us. Idiots. Yeah. We're, we're dumbass. Uh, I will say, uh, in my dumbass opinion, um, I loved it. So if I had to give this story a note, and it, it might just be a me thing. Okay. And I can think of several reasons off the top of my head to, like, shoot down what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for as long and detailed as a journey as it was to get us to that ending, I would have liked maybe, like, one other thing in the ending. I agree. I think that's that's one thing. Like, I like the ominous dark tunnel, but it kind of left me wanting. And I get the sense that this would have been potentially a bigger uh, novel maybe even the lead into one, but I don't know. I feel like it works really well as a short story. And I think what I find the mystery of lingering is a good thing, but I think I wanted, yeah, I'm with you. I kind of left wanting a little more. The, uh, always leave wanting more, but, uh, the, the, the immediate argument against like anything more than what happened in the cave happening in the cave, the one my mind immediately came up with is, Oh, if she, if she told the truth, and there was, like, a spooky monster or a bunch of frozen dead bodies or whatever. Um, I think then the police hearing that, it would it would be less about, like, oh, she's on trial for, the like, the murder of these two people. And more like, oh, she's crazy. Yeah. That, so that, yeah. It, it changes. If any more happens, uh, if anything more overt happens, it changes what she become she is accused of in it or the right. or the reason she's accused of it in a sense yeah but yeah i think it would have been nice yeah I think something just something some additional cryptic thing yeah just one small additional cryptic thing yeah um, maybe maybe goat bleeding i don't know yeah maybe maybe they just see like one single goat unbothered by the cold just bleats and then it goes dark Heavy spooky as shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Also, why is she the only survivor? Does that have to do with the legend about the whole thing? Like, uh, you know, the fact that mo- in a lot of the legends, it's, uh, people are scared away from the cave and it's usually a woman. It's like a cautionary tale for women. Yeah, uh, that's it, it. It might just be that. Hmm. Um, so, hmm. But yeah, that that complaint is super super small. Uh, overall, this yeah. is fan fucking tastic. Agreed. Um, I think to answer the question, I have um, the one thing I yeah, I think we agreed. The thing we'd want to expand upon is a little bit about the most cryptic thing that everything was built up to. Mm-hmm. Um, any any and all suggestions as to the direction I take the story are much appreciated. I guess I get that. That's really the main thing. I don't personally. I don't know if I I could see this as a two hundred page novel. Um, maybe if some of the background stuff was expanded upon a little bit, maybe, or maybe you front load a little bit more. I just, I don't know where you'd go from here unless our, our author actually goes to the cave to learn the truth. Um, or try to. I will say that I think, uh, I think that maybe a cave that is somehow like fucking magically crazy cold in like the middle of Mexico is and has like actual frost is something more people would be interested in than this story lets on. Yeah. Um I uh like they they kind of toy with that at the beginning where they say, "Oh, it's not as interesting as the cave that has a bunch of crystals or anything." Like it's still pretty interesting though. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's still something I think would draw people to see it. But mm-hmm. otherwise, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, very very small complaints. Very very small. They're not, they're, and, not, and a, not even complaints not so much as just mild criticisms. Yeah. yeah, but I think uh, uh, otherwise, this is a. Uh, I mean, this is a really solid story. Very solid. Yeah, frozen solid. And I appreciate. <laughs> Fro- absolutely frozen solid. It's solid. Um, as Alex's dick. <laughs> he actually can't get a heart on. He just passes the fuck out. He doesn't have enough blood in his body. <laughs> <laughs> the wedding night was very awkward um uh, in terms of freshness ratings uh i will give this story uh at one house completely lit from all sides by in all windows by led lights cool i'm gonna give it 11 out of 10 possible fingers <laughs> beautiful Again, AC Silva, thank you so much for sharing your work with us. If you want to be cool like AC Silva, please feel free to contact us. Uh, MidnightMarinera at gmail.com is the home of any stories that get sent to us. AC Silva is one of our patrons, patreon.com slash MidnightMarinera, and has been a longtime supporter. Thank you again for your continued patronage. And uh, we immediately bumped this story higher on the list because of that contribution, but patrons do get... First dibs, I try to make sure that that happens uh, for stories that are read and commented on. Uh, Furthermore, any of the choice drags that we release, they go to you and only to you. If you're a patron, Uh, you want to hear, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, if you want to hear me and Alan talk about Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom, both really in their own way, and role-playing games, you can hear that there because that's what's going to happen. If you enjoyed what you heard, Please consider uh, giving us some sort of positive feedback or any feedback at all. That's always appreciated. Whether you're listening to this on YouTube and you want to like, like, and leave a comment, or if you're listening to this on a podcast feed, you want to give us a nice review, maybe a rating. I sure appreciate it. 
Uh, sharing this with people is al- also always good. And hey, if you like what we do here, we also have several other podcasts on the Creative Horror Network, including uh, The Jameson Tapes, uh, Darkly Lit, Midnight Marinera, The Witching Hour, Trick or Track, and so forth. Uh, Alan, is there anything you want to plug while we're uh, here? I'm going to plug the Jameson Tapes uh, episodes release at the middle of the month. Uh, we've got a lot of good ones coming at you. Um, uh, starting at the end of this month, I'm going to start Twitch streaming again because AEW Fight Forever comes out, and I'm going to do me some wrestling Twitch streams. Hell yeah. Um, do we. And I will say, uh, I have some ideas for upcoming episodes, So, and uh, uh, David doesn't know this, but if he is, if he is interested, I think we may need to delve back into the world of public domain horror, and I promise it's not White Worm. <laughs> okay, as long as it's not White Worm. All right. I'm interested, as long as it's not White yeah. Worm. All right. Okay. Okay, cool. You heard it here. Now people can hold me accountable. Okay. Anyway, that being said, I want to leave you with this um, important quote. Love ain't no billy goat. Love don't got no beard. Love don't eat no garbage. Love's got regular human eyeballs. It don't got Satan's eyeballs. Love ain't no billy goat. That's for sure. Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of creativehorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at creativehorror.com. Ha, 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 ha.